Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Tough shot by Hayward, and he drills it to put Utah up a dozen. Offered against DL. Hayward with the block. Is there anything this guy hasn't done in the first? Hayward for three. Hello and welcome to the Double Touch Podcast. I'm Mike Miller and tonight I'm joined once again by Joe Holbert. Hi there Mike, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good. I've uh, My internet's been off all weekend and I've really missed Summer League, which I never <laughs> thought I'd say two years ago. <laughs> Has it been like going back to the Stone Age? Yeah, basically. It's really like sad how reliant I am on the internet for everything now. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and we're also joined for the first time... Uh, by Josh Coyne, our writer and uh, resident Boston Celtics fan, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, definitely fair to say. It's a pleasure to join you, fellas. It's uh, been an exciting free agency and I'm pleased to finally be joining a new team that's a good fit uh, for a great organisation and I'm ready to make a start. <laughs> See, <laughs> I, I, I accidentally called him Daniel Coyne last week. So and for any of you football fans, he's like a veteran goalkeeper from a Wales international. So... His name is Josh, not Daniel. Just yeah, wanted to I, I point did that clock out. that when I listened back to it, and I was just like, I have no idea who Daniel Coyne is, but that's because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't follow football. Um, anyway, Josh Coyne has joined the podcast. Uh, good to have you. We're going to go straight into some of the free agency moves, and undoubtedly the biggest story of the last week is the arrival of Gordon Hayward in, Bo- in Boston. Uh, so let's jump straight in with you then, Josh, right into the, uh, into the fire, as it were. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, well, I'm glad the dust has finally settled because it was an absolute roller coaster. Um, I think my, my refresh finger nearly broke, um, <laughs> especially after all the absolute debacle that was going back and forth where like one trusted reporter would say something and then, you know, another would say something to the complete contrary. Um, but I'm feeling good. Um, just off the back of something that was recently reported, uh, I believe it was Sports Illustrated might have given Boston a, a pretty bad, well, a pretty average mark for their off-season. But I think from a Boston Celtics fan's opinion, I think that was kind of the, the cherry on top because, you know, all of last season I was, I was looking at the off-season with the hope of, um, you know, me and, me and my Boston Celtics supporting friends would say, uh, with the hope that Boston keep their picks and can add a top three agent without essentially gutting the entire team in order to make that kind of statement trade. I was hoping they would be steadfast in that, um, you know, and that's exactly what they've done. And now that they, they have Hayward, you know, an exciting prospect and Jason Tatum and uh, an opportunity to increase the roles of Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, I'm, I'm feeling fairly optimistic. And, and, you know, they've done that on the cheap. You know, Jay Crowder will be their third highest paid player next year and, and that's around seven million. So um, I'd definitely rate it higher than a C. Uh, so I thought I'd get straight to that, you know, but... I must admit, you know, I, I did get excited when the carrot of Paul George was dangled, but ultimately I think it was wise not to compromise the depth and flexibility in the roster for the sake of a potential rental. Uh, Paul George is saying that that's not, not necessarily the case, but um, yeah, feeling very positive, uh, and I think Hayward can add a lot to the team. Joe, Hay- Hayward is a, one of the top free agents this year, but does he move the needle for you? 
Absolutely. Um, I want to just say on Paul George, I think Gordon Hayward's a better player for Boston than Paul George, purely because I've watched a lot of Summer League. Um, I watched loads today. I've watched a lot of Jason Tatum, and I see a lot of Paul George in Jason Tatum in the sense that he's going to be an isolation scorer, and I don't think you can get away with two of those anymore because I think that's what Paul George is. I don't think he's this primary ball handler like everyone else does. Hayward's very efficient. Um, he can play in pace. He can also play in a half-court offense as well. I mean, a lot of people are saying, oh, Boston fans think that this is the sign that moves the needle. I haven't actually seen a single Boston fan say that, but I'm going to say I think it actually pushes them close to the Cavs because if if you go back and watch those games against Cleveland, the problem was is when Isaiah was getting double-teamed, they were chucking it off to Bradley and Crowder, and as much as I like them, they're not guys who are going to create their own shot. They're not going to drive to the basket. Hayward fixes that, and I think they've got a very exciting offense now, and they can go small all the time as well because they've got Marcus Morris as well, which is a very underrated part of their off-season. I, I've got to say I'd give it an A-star, their off-season. So they, they've picked up Hayward on a, a reported £128 million max four-year contract. They've got Jason Tatum shining in a summer league, and I've got to say he has looked absolutely just... I'm, I'm going to say one of our favourite words on this podcast that none of us can pull off, lit his his just his his uh his ability to draw contact and then hit the fadeaway jump shot to me is just it's a veteran move that a kid at his age shouldn't be doing. Um, they picked up Aaron Baines. They've traded Avery Bradley for for Morris. So I'm I'm quite impressed. I've got to say, but you you summed it up for me there a little bit, Joe. You said it's moved them closer to Cleveland. That's not enough, is it? Well, it depends for me. Like the the. The way to get at this Cavs, and the Cavs' defense was terrible last year, they seem to think they can breeze through the regular season. And then the post, I've I've ranted about this before, there's no such thing as a magic switch. You've got to be switched on all year. If Cleveland make these same mistakes next year, I think Boston can get them with Gordon Hayward. I really do. I think that they've got multiple scoring options, and I actually think that will free up Al Horford to be a little bit more productive in a conference final series, but... I love this roster. I mean, Danny Ainge was a guy I was... I wouldn't say I was criticising on Twitter. I was more critiquing him because I don't feel some people do. But I think he's proven me wrong. I love the Morris pickup. I think it, he's a really good player. I mean, Stan Van Gundy likes him. If Stan Van Gundy likes someone, they must be good because he hates everything. <laughs> Josh, um, do you reckon they can take Cleveland? Uh, well, I'll, I'll comment first on, on the, you know, is that enough to... Um, to just get closer to Cleveland. I think that um, the the main thing that um, Boston have done, and Danny Edge kind of should be uh, commended for, really, is the fact that they're simultaneously doing a rebuild uh, for five years' time, uh, whilst also make, trying to make the team competitive now. And that's actually something that a few people have tried, but never really been to... It's a bit of an anomaly for me. Um, and I think that whilst... They are getting closer to Cleveland now. I actually think with the, the things that you've already commented on, such as Jason Tatum's uh, you know, signs of promise um, and you know, Jalen Brown actually coming into a, more of an um, important role in the summer league, taking a bit of leadership, I think that those signs actually mean that you know, when, when the absolute juggernaut in the West does cut, start to kind of slow down, they're actually also putting themselves into a position to be, to be hanging around in the... Uh, in the forefront at that point as well. So um, 
I do think it moves them closer to Cleveland for now, though. Um, I think that, like you, like Joe said, I think that Hayward is a great fit for this Boston team. I think a lot of the movement off the ball is great, especially, like you said, maybe even a better fit than Paul George because Isaiah needs a lot of the ball. Um, and Paul George, as we saw uh, at some points last season, would struggle when there was someone else trying to be a bit of a primary uh, ball handler. And I think Hayward comes off screens really well. He's moving off the ball. The Utah Jazz offense really kind of suited him in that respect. So I think it's a great fit. And I actually think that kind of added scoring punch can take, at least take a few few more games in the playoff series in the Eastern Conference Finals should they make it. So, we, so we've got Hayward, we've got Tatum, we've got Jalen Brown, we've got Crowder, we've got a lot of small forwards. Is that is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's... I mean... Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I think a lot of people, I mean, Jot, you probably get annoyed at people constantly banging on about Boston's rebounding. But my response to that is you can't create the perfect team. Even like even the Warriors have some, albeit very minor flaws. I think with Brad Stevens' system, they can get away with playing small. Um I'd personally, if I could pick one weakness to have, it would be rebounding. Just because if you've got that floor spacing with Al Horford, all these small forwards, and I think actually the most underrated part of this uh, off-season, I've mentioned Marcus Morris about eight times. What I love about him is he's he's might be the toughest guy in the league, other than maybe Matt Barnes. He's happy to to defend these the few traditional bigs who are left. I've, I really think that they've constructed this roster very well and they can play small at all times. Yeah, I also think Baines is a massive addition, obviously, because, you know, whilst you can't completely cure the massive problem and the, you can't completely cover up the gaping hole that we had um, in rebounding for the last couple of years, I think Baines off the bench will actually add something that people like Kelly Olinick last year didn't and Jurebko sometimes did, but, um, you know, they, they, it was evident throughout the whole year last year, that that was going to be a problem come playoff time. And I think as a role player, I think Baines is also a really smart pickup. Do you think we're going to see um, Brad Stevens roll out a lineup where all four get on the court at the same time? Because we look at sort of the, the, the rise of positionless basketball and, and the Warriors and their ability to, to be long and athletic and be able to switch. It kind of sounds like you've got a nice, a nice problem to have there, and having that many guys who are actually uh, athletically able to do that and and be sort of, you know, able to to spread the floor and go inside. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, like you said, it is positionless basketball, and that's the era that we're living in. I think that all, all that um, Stevens and Ainge, well, I guess Ainge uh, for the most part has done here is is got enough players that are versatile enough to defend, basically from two till four, sometimes five, uh, with Mark Eve, but sorry, Marcus, but it's, yeah, I think the, the three, a lot of people are kind of getting stuck on getting a lot of small forwards, but I don't necessarily think that that matters as much in a league where, you know, LeBron can play centre. No, I think, I think that's a, a fair point. Um, how, how sad are you to see Avery Bradley go? Extremely sad. He's, um, you know, Obviously, uh, I think I might have seen that. Yeah, so once Avery left, Marcus Smart is now the longest um, standing Boston Celtic, um, which is kind of crazy. But it, it is that last piece from the contending teams uh, back during the Garnett and Pierce days. 
Uh, and it is, it is sad to see. He's an absolutely tenacious defender. He's so, so intelligent off the ball. Um, he had really started to come off it, uh, into his own on the offensive end, especially since the arrival of Al Horford. I think those two work together brilliantly. Uh, and it is sad to see. However, you know, I understand it. It's a business uh, and it's the best move probably for Boston in terms of the amount he was getting paid and the amount he would eventually have to be paid, which wouldn't have gone, that wouldn't have ended well. Have you guys ever seen Hot Fuzz? This is related. <laughs> yes. You, you know the phrase that they always repeat, the greater good in like the farmer Bristol accent? I that's, do indeed. That's, ba- that's basically Yarp. what Bradley's departure is. It's like, it's a tough one. And I've got to say, I think only the proper Celtics fans like you, Josh, and others on NBA UK community, they're the ones who are going to appreciate guys like Bradley and Crowder. Um I just want to talk, because we don't talk about Detroit much on this pod. I think that's a great get for them as well. Like I think Stan Van Gundy did a really good job flipping that. They really needed some help on the perimeter, and I I think he's going to go and be a very good player there, there as long as he's not asked to do too much. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm. I, I mean, you only had to look at all the reactions to the All NBA uh, announcements and and him not being on the all day all defensive team, and it was just a bit. You know, this is clearly a very talented guy, and although his offense is is improving, I, I wouldn't say it's you know he, he's not a a prime scorer or anything like that. But he is a, a you know covers ninety four feet on defense. He he's a beast. Um, that's one of my favorite words actually. Beast to describe someone I think is quite good. Um, let's uh, let's flip the coin though, because of course with Hayward arriving in Boston, he leaves behind a Utah Jazz team. So this summer. Aside from Hayward, they've also lost George Hill, who's headed off to Sacramento in three years, 57 million. Uh, they've managed to re-sign Joe Ingles, four years, 52 million. They've picked up Ricky Rubio from Joe's Wolves in exchange for a 2018 lottery-protected pick via OKC. And they've got Dante Exum uh, returning from a torn ACL. The fifth seed last year, Joe, do you see them being as good as a fifth seed next year? I'm really concerned for them because... I think a lot of people like a lot of the Jazz players, but I think the Jazz players were elevated by Hayward because he was the primary guy on this offense, which meant that the likes of Rodney Hood, um, to a lesser extent, guys like Joe Johnson, Derek Favors, they could just play off the ball all the time. I look at this team now, I don't see where their shot creation is coming from. I love Ricky Rubio, as well documented on this podcast. But I'm concerned by the floor spacing on this team. They, I don't think they have a stretch four on the roster, unless you count Boris Diaw. They've just, it's a real shame because I think they've done everything right over the last, you know, probably since Jerry Sloan uh, retired. They've done pretty much everything right. They've drafted well, but they, I just don't think they have that guy. I, I think I said on Twitter, if they make the playoffs, they're going to be that ugly team that are going to score like they're only going to concede like 95 points a game they're only going to score like 89 points a game they're just going to be they're probably going to be top five in defensive efficiency again but i don't know i'm really concerned for them unless they pull out some blockbuster which i can't see happening myself so is this just another trapping of of being in a small market then another you know we've said many times that market size doesn't matter but utah are losing out here having done nothing wrong having been on the rise um I think a lot of it with Hayward was that I think part of it was that he just looked at the Western Conference and went, 
screw that. I, I really, <laughs> I do, but I do believe, I'm not saying he's a quitter. I, I don't blame him for it because I actually think he's closer to a championship at Boston. Um, I don't know if the small market's a thing, but I can see why people think it is because, you know, Utah, this is, I mean, let's be honest. No, I don't want to disrespect um, Utah as a state or anything, but you've just got to, I know Hayward's not a big lifestyle guy, but you can see why someone would rather live in Boston or Miami over Utah. I think that's always going to be the problem for these places. You know, it's more the area, I think, rather than the market size for me. I was I was absolutely elated when uh, Boston signed Hayward. However, I did have in my mind, I, I continuously said that I thought he was going to stay at Utah. And I actually would have really quite respected the decision uh, because the, what, what a team they, they were. And, you know, they were always underdogs in the playoffs last year. Um, and I thought that, um, you know, while she said yes, he did definitely elevate the rest of the players around him. I think the loss of Hayward, I'm actually a little bit more optimistic about it than than you, it seems, Joe. But also, I mean, the initial thought when Hayward leaves, it leaves a massive hole in the offence. You know, Rubio is a tenacious defender. I think if people are expecting them to fall dramatically, I think they might, they could potentially be surprised. I think that Rubio is a good fit in a Quinn Snyder offence. Yes, they need more shooters, they need more they need to be able to spread the floor better. But I also think that if there's an improved pick-and-roll game with him and Gobert as well, I think that could also be dangerous. And people like Ingles taking a bit more responsibility in the offence, taking a bit more leadership, I think it could be interesting. And I'm actually optimistic there could be a bit of a surprise. So I just want to ask you one thing from a sort of schematic, tactical point of view. What do you think this offense is going to look like? Because last year it was re- it was built around Hayward. He run he ran all the pick and roll. They used him off screen. I mean, who's kind of? I know not everyone believes in a go to guy, but I do. I think you've got to have someone who you who runs your offense. I mean, do you, do you think that Rubio Gobert is going to uh, pick and roll is going to be the staple of this team? I think that that's going to. I, I think that's going to be their go-to. Yes, but I, I do think that, um, like you said, you know, it's not going to be anywhere near as pretty. I think it's got to be a lot more narrower. Um, uh, sorry, can we edit that out? Um, it's going to be a lot more narrow. Um, it's going to be extremely kind of um, rigid, and I, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as fluid. But I do think that the um, their strength on defense would perhaps negate. Um, the importance of their offensive woes. I, I think it's got to be uh, the Gobert Rubio pick and roll. It's going to be quite good fun to watch. I think you're then going to have Hood and Ingles spreading the floor. Um, but I just think it's going to be reminiscent of a late 90s team to that extent. And I just don't think it's going to have the have the desired effect. It'd be, it'd be, I mean, it would be great if you can get Gobert averaging 25 and 12. Um but that's asking a lot of him, given the effort and intensity he already gives out on on defense. Uh, if if Rubio could get a consistent outside shot, then maybe I'd think differently. But I think I think George Hill's actually a massive loss for them. Um, when he was on the court, and I know he's had issues staying on the court. I just thought he was. He, I mean, last year we, I know that you marvelled at him as well, Joe. It was just incredible how people could have undervalued him so much given how how well he played for the jazz yeah i'm i've got to admit like i think he's a huge loss because look i i'm a big believer that not everyone has to run a a three-point bombing spread offense but you have to have spacing in other ways 
I'm concerned about the Favors Gobert partnership because I've seen a lot of comparisons to the Memphis partnership with Gasol and Randolph. Randolph was an well, still is an incredible mid-range shooter. And Marcus Sol, certainly more under Dave Yeager than Lionel Hollins, he really added that outside shot. Rudy Gobert is never going to have an outside shot, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I'm quite happy to, to go on record and say that. I'm, I'm concerned about the spacing. You don't have to space people from the three-point line, but you've got to have something at mid-range. And also my concern with the Rubio pick-and-rolls is, my concern with Rubio isn't actually his outside shot, it's his layups. He is awful at, in, at the rim. Like it was, we our pick and roll last year was terrible because he just he'd get into the paint, he'd lose his head. He's actually his best shot is his mid range shot, but they've already got plenty of guys to do that. I'm I'm very concerned about this team offensively, but Rubio is going to have some fun highlight reels at minimum. And and I think the biggest problem for Utah uh, in terms of uh, the offense is the fact that we've been saying the sentence if Rubio can improve his shot for a fair few years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, uh, he could be one of the top guys in the league, in my mind, if, if, he, if he was a more well-rounded player and he didn't have as many health issues. He, for me, he just get, he gets... I know he stayed on the floor a lot more last year, but that's one year out of however many he's been around and it's just... It's not enough for me. Um, and I, I, I think... I think the Jazz are, are not looking good because they're not going to be a big player in free agency uh, this year or next year. I don't think. I just don't think they're that kind of place uh, where people want to go to. Um, I also think that they're too good to get a decent lottery pick. So I think they're going to be stuck in, in sort of middling no man's land and when they were really on the, the up. Yeah, that's where they were for a while, wasn't it? When. Um... Jerry Sloan left, they had Ty Cobb and they had like Al Jefferson, Devin Harris. I remember one year they got the eight seed. And they got swept by the Spurs and it was just kind of like they were stuck in that purgatory. And it's sometimes you've got to take a step back to take a step forward. But the, the saddest part of this for me is I think uh, the job Quinn Snyder's done there over the last three years has really gone under the radar because they're good at they were good at both ends as well. And I think, yeah, he, he got coach of the year votes last year. I think it's a real shame for him that. You know, he would have probably been a candidate to be a top five coach with Hayward on the roster, and I just kind of think that may have gone slightly out of the window now. But it, we'll see. He's a he's very good at what he does. It'll be really interesting to see if um, if they're you know if it's not going so well half well halfway through the season, it'll be interesting to see uh, where they go in terms of bottoming out. I think a lot of teams have to sometimes swallow their pride if it, if it's not looking realistic and they need to go in one direction or the other. That kind of treadmill of, of mediocrity is not a good place to be. Uh, so the wise move, if it's not working out halfway through the, through the year, is to probably look towards the lottery. But, you know, we'll see. Well, uh, speaking of uh, lottery picks and uh, Rubio, oh, it's almost like I planned this. Uh, we're going to go to the, uh, the team that received a lottery-protected pick for Rubio, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Joe, I know you wanted to talk about these guys. Um, I'll let you lead on this. So, you guys are in a group chat with me, and when we first signed Jeff Teague, I wasn't too happy. I've warmed I've warmed to that signing purely because he's going to be the fourth-choice ball handler on this team behind Butler, Towns and Wiggins. So if he's just playing off the ball, he'll be fine. 
I'm very concerned by that Jamal Crawford sign. I've got to be honest, I hate it. I think he's been on the decline now. His points have gone from 17 to 14. I think he averaged 12 this year. He's going to be 39, I think, if we make the playoffs this year. I, I just don't like that. I don't think he's efficient anymore. And I'm really concerned by the lack of outside shooting. And The Ringer released a really good article last week that was saying Minnesota have the pieces to succeed. But the thing holding them back is going to be that Tom Thibodeau is too rigid of a coach. So, you know, so for example, he never plays small ball or anything like that. We've got three big men on the roster in Cole Aldrich, Gorgie Dieng, and Taj Gibson. None of them can shoot. And I just, sorry, none of them can shoot from outside. I'm just slightly concerned by the direction. I know there's time left and there's still guys like Anthony Tolliver and uh, Aaron Aflalo on the market, but... I I think this could be our undoing, which would be a shame because we've got a pretty good young core in place. I think that a good target for um, the Timberwolves could possibly be someone that is quite diverse in someone like Jurebko. Not necessarily the gunner that you need, but I think that that would add some kind of toughness off the bench uh, and I think that you could bring some depth. Um I am a bit shocked, to be honest, by your your Crawford thoughts. Like, whilst, yeah, he's been on the decline for the last couple of years, I, I do think that possibly, I mean, this is probably an outside thought, but possibly some of his decline last year could be attributed to the fact that he was in, in you know, part of an organisation that seemed to be in apparent turmoil. Um, it was all over the shop, really, last year in terms of uh, roles and responsibilities. And then, you know, from the, from the um, fallout we're hearing about, Chris Paul and Doc Rivers. It wasn't exactly a great place to play last year, it seems. Uh, but yeah, um, so even at the price of Jamal Crawford, you're not particularly happy with it. What, the whole off-season? Or just the Crawford signing? Just the Crawford signing. Do you not think that you could add that little bit off the bench, a little bit of a spark of energy? Hopefully, you could, do, you think, do you not think he can get back to that heat check Jamal Crawford? That's basically my question. I think he can sometimes, but this has always been my issue with players like him is that when he's not in that heat check, he's pretty useless. Um, this is always my issue with him. If you go and look at his playoff stats, he's never turned up in the playoffs. So like for the last three years, he shot 24% or under from three in the playoffs. And I just think he's too he's too hit or miss. And I, I don't like the idea of him. I think what Thibodeau's going to do is he's just going to go to him, yeah, this is your bench unit. And you're running it. Everything goes for you. And he's just going to use the lights of Nemanja Bielitsa, uh, Brandon Rush off the ball. I don't know. I'm just not convinced by it. I, I would rather have had CJ Miles myself. So, so they've picked Crawford up two years, nine million. I, money-wise, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. What worries me is that you've mentioned heat checks. This is a guy who does things that you don't expect on the court in terms of he'll gun it from anywhere. He'll work outside of the system. He'll he'll do random uh, sort of street ball moves, which look amazing when they work. But I think Tibbs is going to have a heart attack. You've already seen the way, the, the way he sort of shouts at the other guys on team for not playing defense. And here's a guy who's got no reputation for playing defense and likes to freestyle on offense. I'm, I'm worried that we're going to see Tibbs fall over. This is what was bizarre with our off-season targets. So our top two sixth-man targets were Jamal Crawford and Nick Young. Like, imagine <laughs> Thibodeau with Nick Young. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, I'm I'm glad he addressed the bet. Our bench last year was 
oh, it was abysmal. Like it was, it was the undoing. It was why we were so bad in the third and fourth quarters. But I don't know. I'm I'm not a fan of players like Crawford. I don't like these sort of isolation, high usage guards who are either going to get you twenty one night and then you know three the next night. I'm just. I like the rest of the offseason. I love Taj Gibson. I think he's been one of the more underrated contributors in the league over the last sort of uh, four or five years. But uh, the idea of Jamal Crawford being our sixth man worries me. And the fact that we've paid him that contract, I know it's not huge, but that's not, it's not like we've given him that contract and gone, he might not even make the roster. That's That contract says to me that he's going to play 20 minutes a game next year at minimum. Yeah, he is a bit of a surprise addition for Thibodeau, who is, you know, notorious for uh, favouring system players. Uh, <laughs> it does seem a bit bizarre. Maybe we'll see some infighting. Who knows? I, I do like the Teague pickup personally, because I, I, you know, we're only sort of two, three years away from that sixty-win Atlanta team, which had no standout star, although four of them made an All-Star team. Um, I think that if he's not the focal point. He can be a, a good contributor across a number of areas. Uh, I, I kind of I like that. I think he's a bit more um, consistent than than perhaps Rubio would have been in terms of being able to contribute across a number of categories. Gibson, I've always had a, a, a soft spot for because he's just a blue collar, absolute beast of you know workhorse, and he's he's probably going to give Carl uh, Anthony Towns nightmares in practice. Um, I, you know, and they picked up Butler. I, I think they've had one of the best off seasons ever. They've gone from being um, a young team where people think they're going to have a high ceiling, but they they haven't got to it yet, to now a team that has serious expectations to to be um, sort of mid conference next year. In the in the play, you know, they need to they need to be a five seed for me for this for this to have worked. But I love the fact that Minnesota are relevant again. Yeah, as as do I, obviously. But like, I think. I, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I think people are actually underrating our sort of... I hate the term big three, but I'm just using it to... I'm not describing us as a big three. I'm not I'm not like the Knicks fans last summer. I'm just talking about our best three players here. We've got two top 15 players, in my opinion, in Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, and Wiggins is probably a top 40 or 50 player. I'm with you. I, if we're, I would tolerate a six seed, I think. I know it sounds like really ungrateful, but I think when you've got two players that good, I think you should be aiming for a five or six seed. I, I, I'd say top four's out of reach because I think the Thunder are better than us with Paul George now on board. But yeah, I, I'd like to see us elevate that, which is great because I've not seen this team go above 500 before. I also think that it's a great, I think it's a great off-season for Carl uh, Anthony Towns. I think that, that you know, the... Development will be uh, boosted by by the veteran leadership that's been added. Even guys like Butler, who seems to to push his team um, on both on both ends, and uh, I think that obviously Thibodeau would be already doing that for Towns. But I think that surrounding Towns with the right kind of guys is a very good move at this point of his career um, to keep him going and keep him progressing into basically being one of the best players in the league. So the uh, the Wolves missed out on CJ Miles. Um, they were looking to trade Cole Aldrich, and uh, the sticking point was that was the aforementioned OKC pick. Uh, are you, how how frustrated are you with that, Joe? I I didn't get that because we've already got quite a lot of young talent. You know, Towns I think is 
I think he's 21, which is quite scary. We drafted Justin Patton as well. Jimmy Butler's only 26. You've got Wiggins, who's young as well. Uh, Gorgie, Tyus Jones. We don't need any more young players. And we and I believe we have a... I mean, we've got a second-round pick. You can get a guys in summer league to make the roster. It's frustrating because I think CJ Miles is a very good player. I think Toronto, who will come on to soon, I think that's a brilliant pickup. I, I've got to admit, I was very frustrated. You know, if, if Indiana had asked for something like Cole Aldrich and, I don't know, Shabazz Muhammad, I would have probably said no. But... I'm I'm a little bit disappointed, but hopefully he's got something else up his sleeve because although I as I've said I don't believe everyone needs to be like three point bombers. I think you have to have the outside shot, especially when Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins are guys who operate inside more often than not. No, I think that I think that's a, a fair point, and uh, we are going to move on to now. It's almost like you spotted my segue coming. Um, we're going to move on to the Raptors, who who acquired CJ Miles in a sign and trade for Corey Joseph. Uh, they've also re-signed Carl Lowry, three years, a hundred million. Uh, on Sunday, they signed rookie OG Ananobi, London-born player. Um, and going out the door, they've lost Damari Carroll, PJ Tucker, Patrick Patterson, and Corey Joseph, who I've mentioned. At first, I thought these guys were going to roll back the same team, um, and once they started getting a backer and Lowry on board, but they seem to—I mean, what do people make of this? They seem to have—I—I th- I don't think they're as as good on paper as they were last year automatically, but I also think they're going to be a pleasant surprise, and still, they're obviously still going to be up there because it's the East, and the East is is pretty barren right now. But I, I think they're going to be better than most people will think. I think they'll be as good as they were last year obviously I think signing Lowry to you know it's, that's big money it's big commitment to a player that's kept them nearer the top of the Eastern Conference for the last couple of years you know especially since cutting out his late night cheeseburgers um, but C- I think CJ Miles is a great addition uh, I think he's a really versatile player good good scorer um, I would suspect off the bench but you know we'll see uh, I, I like it I like it a lot for him I mean you know, I think they'll hope to make another run at the East, but I think they'll probably be looking at the third seed. Uh, I think that Damari Carroll uh, to the Nets, I think it was actually a good trade. Obviously, Carroll has since expressed his um, disapproval of the way things went last year. Um, do we think that possibly that was like a big issue in terms of not pushing them to, you know... Halfway through the year, it seemed as though it was going to be quite intense battle with Boston and uh, and the Raptors uh, for that second or even first seed, uh, and then it kind of they came off the boil a little bit. Do you think that that may have potentially been some in kind of internal issues? Yeah, I think all I think all of Toronto's issues are internal. I think Dwayne Casey, I like him. He's a very nice guy. He does a lot of great stuff off the court. He's a good motivator, but like his his tactics are just kind of it, basically in the playoffs they ran like three or four plays and sets, and the Cavs just ate them up. You know that this is a Cavs defense. I think Indiana put up 111 points per 100 possessions against them, and the Raptors didn't even test them. And I think I think this is it for Dwayne Casey. And I think if he doesn't diversify it this year, because they've signed CJ Miles, who can play as a small ball four, which means you could put Norman Powell at the three, DeMar DeRozan at the two. If he doesn't sort things out this year, I think he's gone. Because I think 
with a bit of internal sort of reworking, I really do actually think they can push the Celtics and the Wizards to make the conference finals this year. I, I think it's going to be really interesting um, to see how they work this year because there's sort of Patrick Patterson was I thought underrated in that side, um, and I think he was he was quite capable of of giving them you know some small ball five. Um, as well as as playing the four and sometimes even popping out as a three, um, so it'll be interesting to see how Powell, who is what six four, so he's quite undersized, and he'll be, I think, taking a lot of those minutes. Um, how he can sort of cope with it, as, you know, he's a physically strong guy. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just I'm a bit uh, on them at the minute. Um, I think this the contract for Lowry. I know it's big bucks, but I think that's an absolute steal because you've got a 30 year old guy. Who was eligible for a five-year contract? So you could you could have, in theory, been paying the guy closer to 180 million, and instead you've got him 100 million for three years. I'm I'm if I'm Toronto or if I'm a Toronto fan, I don't want to be paying a 34, 35-year-old Carl Lowry, you know, closer to 40 million a year. That that to me is is not going to be good. Um, so I think they've got a steal there, and it's given them a little bit of a window to try and to try and rejig things and see where they go. I, I still don't see them making the the massive leaps that I say. Well, yeah, the way that Boston have made strides this summer, the fact that Cleveland are so far ahead, I I still don't see this team being anywhere near sort of challenging for the the conference title. And I'll probably have to eat crow on that at some point later in the season. Um, you know, they made a lot of last minute trades before the deadline to pull on this this you know anti Cavs team, and and they got swept. I just and now I think they've just taken a step back slightly. I think an, an X factor for them is um, they need an improved Demar Derozan when it comes to the postseason. Obviously, that's not something you can do until next year. But um, I think I think he needs to be the guy who pushes them, elevates them to the next level. Because obviously, Lowry's their best player, um, but they, they they need a big show from Derozan this year to even to even be close to contending when it matters. I think they I think they need to get this is gonna sound a bit strange, so bear with me, but they need to get weird with their lineups. Like Dwayne Case is very much a guy who likes to play point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, centre. I'd like to see them actually use a backer as a centre. Not all the time. I think you've still got to start Valentunas or Potal. But use a backer as a as a stretch centre for that bench lineup. That helps everyone out and if Dwayne Casey does that, I think they can be a very effective team. I think I like the idea of having the starting lineup kind of keep it close and then get that bench unit on and just just play at pace and let it go. And I think I like Ojan and Obi. He's, he's I don't think he's going to have much of a shot, but he's got a, he's a brilliant defender. He can switch onto bigs. They've got they've built a really good roster and they've got a good D League team as well. And this is why this isn't even a hot take. I think Masai Ujiri is far and away the best general manager in the NBA. I think the job he's done putting this roster together, might might you just spoke about that Lowry contract. I don't think any other GM would have got him on that. I just think he's gotten all these players to buy into him and what he's doing. And I just think they're reaping the rewards. And I don't blame them for keeping trying to compete because they know that their GM can work his magic. I think the big issue for me with Toronto, and I've, I've said it a number of times, is... We talk about Lowry and we talk about DeRozan and we've said today that Carl Lowry's the better of the two, but they they sort of flip and flop as to whose team this is and I think that really hurts a, a team's identity. 
Like you should you should know whose team it is, who is the leader, who's who is the guy who's gonna go, Come on boys, I got this, we're going. I you know, it's great to have a second option, but I think so many times we see their failures in the playoffs because they want someone to step up and there's and then there's that identity crisis and, and no one steps up. And I don't see it changing whilst they are both still there, unfortunately. So maybe maybe uh, that's something to explore is, is getting rid of, of one of them. Bombshell. <laughs> yeah, so I was just going to say one thing. Like I do think it's very hard to step up when your offense is basically, yeah, we're going to run a pick and roll this time. Yeah, we're going to run an ISO this time. And yeah, this time we're just going to chuck it out to the corner and or dump it in the post. That's like their four plays. I think it's really hard to step up when you're basically being double teamed and there's no extra action or anything like that. So I think if they diversify this offense and still have the same problems, I think I'll buy into your theory of the an identity crisis. But I think there's a few things they can do internally before I can sort of buy into that. But I can see why you think it, because certainly DeRozan has not stepped up in the playoffs. And Lowry, Lowry was actually pretty good last year, but he got injured. So that pretty much just sums up the luck that franchise has had in the last decade or two. So what do you expect from this this year? I know there's a long time left before the, the season starts. There could be some more moves made. But the, the way they are now, compared to the rest of Eastern Conference, uh, what sort of seed do you expect as a minimum? Um, I think they can push. It's a bit ambitious. I think they could push for about fifty-five wins this year if it goes right. So, I'd like to see them as a three seed. I think they're better than the Wizards. Uh, I don't. I don't like the Wizards off season, which I'm sure we'll get to on another pod. But yeah, I think I think a three seed has got to be the minimum. I don't think they're better than Boston, just because I think Boston have an infinitely better coach. And I actually think they've got better players as well across the board. And obviously Cleveland aren't going to fall out. So, yeah, three seed is what I expect. Josh? I think the three seed as well. And I think that should be a minimum for them, really. I think that whilst the Wizards were really impressive in the postseason, I, I don't think they should be pushing the Raptors for the third seed. I think anything else would be a bit of a disappointment for them. Uh, but like you said before, I do think that with the leaps that uh, Boston and Cleveland are well, not necessarily Cleveland in the off-season, but we know how strong they are already. But especially with the moves that Boston have made in the off-season, I think that the the golf there is actually going to be um, uh, is actually going to increase. I think there'll be a bit, a bit more of a chasm there. I think that I actually think they'll only, I think they'll go down to about forty nine wins. Um, I don't think they'll be as good. However, like you said, I, I I just want to go back to something you said there earlier on about Ibaka. I think that in the modern NBA, he's He's the perfect centre. And that's actually why I was surprised that they didn't make any moves uh, to get rid of Valanciunas and try and get a decent return on him. Yeah, Valanciunas is a weird player because, like, I think 10 years ago, he would have been, like, a five- or six-time All-Star. Like, his post moves are really good. And he's he's got a serviceable shot. But, like, he's just such a weird fit in this NBA like if you watch and they'll go to him early for like the first five plays and then they kind of realize that that's that's not the way you play anymore and then they just ignore him for the rest of the game so I'm with you I was very surprised that they didn't try and move him especially yeah they used that lottery pick on Jacob Potel last year and they've got um the likes of Lucas Nogueira as well I'm with you I was very surprised but what do you think they could have got for him realistically um you know, I think that possibly if they were going to get rid of him, they could have even taken a little bit of 
um, uh, follow Boston in terms of the building now and for the future. I think they possibly could have tried to get a couple of uh, maybe a first round pick or something like that in return for him um, because, like you said, I think that he's a really skilled player and he's a really tough player. But I think the league's passed him by a bit. So I think kind of maximising your return by possibly trying to build for the future simultaneously whilst uh, you know um, petering around at the third seed would be a wise move. Yeah, I find it really interesting uh, just how how sort of excited like even I was sort of three four years ago about this guy and how you know this could be a really really good inside player and and he's just completely just just flamed out and in terms of where where his potential could have gone uh, just because the game's passed him by as you say um, I'm not even sure you know if, if players like Rubio are going for a, a top you know, a lottery protected pick, then then I don't even see Valentunas's sort of value being as high as that. I just don't think there's a demand for it anymore. I think it would have to be for a salary done, but even then his contract, I think he's got a cap hit of sixteen million for the next two years. And as much as I like watching him, I I don't think other than maybe the Nets who are obviously looking to take on salary. But then again, I think the Raptors would have to attach something to it to um to make someone take him. So it's unfortunate because he is a good player. But you're right; he's just he just doesn't seem to be a fit in this era. No. Um. All right. Let's move on from the Raptors because we've had some listeners' questions. Uh, we've had three from oh. Muck Buckets. We've had we've had more as well while we've been podcast and I've had the feed open. Brilliant. Okay. Well, we'll go through the ones I've got down, and then you can follow up with some uh, at the end. Uh, let's do it that way. Okay. So, McBuckets, should the Rockets go hard after Mello, and if so, would you give up Capella for him? I'm going to come to uh, Josh on this one first because I know you were keen to discuss the Rockets. Um, firstly, um, I wouldn't give up Capella for him. Uh, the reason for obviously, you know, Mello wants to reunite. Um, two members of the 2010 All-Star Perennial Vacation crew. Um, but uh, many people, you know, myself included, have slight worries, had slight worries, sorry, when Chris Paul and Harden joined forces, uh, that they needed the ball a lot. And, you know, it goes without saying, really, that adding Carmelo Anthony doesn't solve that issue, to say the least. Um, like Harden, he, he can be a passenger defensively at times, obviously an incredible offensive threat, but he's actually best served on the offence when he's got the ball a lot. And I just don't see that happening when Chris Paul, um, who's very ball dominant, and James Harden, who needs the ball and prospers with the ball. Um, I just don't see that fit being a positive move, especially if you're going to give away someone like Clint Capella, who I think is actually a bit of an X factor for them at times. Yeah, I, I I don't agree with it, giving up Capella, someone who's young, long and athletic. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to give anyone you know on a team with Chris Paul as well that I wouldn't want to give that up. Uh, he's going to catch so many dunks next year, but um, I've not been high on Mello for a while now. So that there is, you know, if they go after him, great. He he would be an improvement on someone like Ryan Anderson, and I thought Ryan Anderson was great last year in that offense, um, but. I just, I just don't think at this point in his career, Mello is worth the money he's 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 getting to perform in the the sort of the, the capacity that 
they're going to need him. They're not. They're not going to need a guy who's who's being paid however many million. I think it's close to thirty million a year to to fill a role that Ryan Anderson, whose contract already looks huge because of the the salary decrease, um, to to come to come on and hit threes. I just uh, to me, if it it'd have to be it'd have to be bought out or something by the Knicks in order for 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 me to do. It. I don't think they should go hard after him at all. I just don't think he he does enough for them. No, I'm with you as well. I, I think people on Twitter do underrate Mello as a as a pure shooter. If you look at like spot up shooting efficiency, I think he was top ten this year, and that was in a team that was running an archaic offense as well. Um, I I don't like the idea of giving up Capella. I actually think Capella is one of the best value players in the league. If you look at sort of contracts and production, he's a he's a serviceable defender as well, which I think is important. The players who I've seen um, sort of dangled for him, uh, Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson, I hate the idea of giving up Eric Gordon. I think he's quite easily the best sixth man in the league. I think as an all-round player, he's versatile as well. He can play anywhere across that, across the backcourt. And Ryan Anderson, I like the idea of actually swapping him for Melo, but I'm looking at it from the other side. Why would the Knicks want Ryan Anderson? Because they've got... Porzingis and I just don't I know I'm I'm not a believer in positions but I don't see how you'd make that front court work it just I don't think you've got enough size and mobility in there so I don't I'm with you I think I think he actually will get bought out eventually just because I think the Knicks need to get that tank going but they're not going to give up anyone like Trevor Ariza either it'd be a horrible shame to see Eric Gordon uh, traded to the Knicks because, you know, what what a narrative for him after kind of struggling for injury for years and actually not living up to that potential. And then he finds the coach in the perfect system for him as a player. Um, and it would be a real shame to see them kind of lose that fit and lose that, uh, you know, spark that Eric Gordon actually provides them for the sake of Carmelo Anthony because of the name, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade him for Eric Gordon or, and... You know, if it was a straight swap with Ryan Anderson, like you guys said, uh, I'd do it if I was them. But once again, like you said, you just wouldn't do that if you're the Knicks. It's not a move in the right direction. Okay, next question, also from Buckets, who's actually asked three questions across another, another across two texts. So I'm just going to roll them all into one because they're all related. Uh, he's a massive Bulls fan, as we know from past pods. Can the Bulls win the tanking race despite serious challenges across the East? And who's going to be the best at tanking this year? So, uh, Joe, you mentioned the Knicks going into full tank mode if they buy Mello out. Yeah, I, I've got to say I'm looking at tanking and I, I just can't look past the Orlando Magic. I really like Jonathan Isaac, but I think he's too raw to win them games now, if that makes sense. I'm just looking at... I've got this Magic roster up now because I prepare the answer to this question. It's It's atrocious. Their best player, their best player is Nikola Vucevic. He wouldn't even be the third best player on a lot of teams. So that's my answer to that. I also think Ross McLeod's Phoenix Suns are going to be right in there as well. They're in no hurry to win games. I would have said the Kings, but then they decided to sign George Hill and Zach Randolph, and I think that's going to be enough to win them like thirty games, which might be the most Kings thing of all time. <laughs> I also had the magic, um, and I went through and looked at their roster, and I, I, I was looking at the top two highest earners, both on seventeen million. I thought well, that's really good that they've got such a low, uh, you know, 
paying like payroll for their top stars and then I looked at who the stars were and Evan Fournier yeah fine I can understand that and then he had Biombo and I went oh god that contract looks terrible 17 mil he was on uh for the season and started 26 games and I was just like oh oh dear yeah I, I'm all in Ma- magic uh pull the plug let's tank I agree with you about the magic, but I also I do actually think for me that uh, the Brooklyn Nets will still be one of the worst teams. I love the D'Angelo Russell trade for them in the long term, but I don't think he's massively improving them in this coming year. I think Damari is a good system player when healthy, but I don't think he's going to turn the franchise around. And I think they've done well with very little resources or picks to pull things together, and they've got some young talent uh, to develop over time, but. Immediately, without Lopez, I think this could be just as bad, if not worse, this year. In terms of actual purposeful tanking, uh, I also think that I'd have to say that a sleeper for this would be the Chicago Bulls. I think that they may be a sneaky contender. I think they, they're a team who's, who have a pretty big incentive to tank. Uh, I think, despite having some names on the team, uh, some of which are injured, uh, I think they really want to be in the race for Michael Porter Jr., uh, Don Chich and, you know, in, in the sweepstakes for those guys and reboot the team when Dwayne eventually leaves town. Um, so I think that those are, the, that's a team that also, in, I think it would be in their best interest to do so. Um, so, you know, halfway through the season, we may see a different Chicago Bulls. Firstly, I'm I'm going to call you out on your Boston bias because if the Nets tank, you'll get you're still getting their 2018 first round pick. <laughs> <laughs> so if they, they if I'm the Nets, I've got no incentive to tank if I'm just going to make the rich richer. Um, well, absolutely. But... I mean, I'm not I'm not definitely not <laughs> saying that they should tank or that they'll even try to tank. Uh, I just merely think they're still going to be the, one of the worst teams. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So just not deliberate tanking. Yeah, indirect tanking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and with Chicago, yeah, I agree. I, I think I think Wade's a candidate for a buyout. I'm not sure he wants to be there. Um, when he was asked, you know, what his reasons were for re-signing with the Bulls, he said, "I've got 23 million of them," and that you know is a fair comment because uh, I, I think at this stage in his career, and he has been an absolutely incredible player throughout his career. I think his his it's clear his big earning days are behind him now. So yeah, I I think this is. This signing in was his last big deal, and he'll he'll probably he'll probably get bought out and go with Melo to Houston. Who knows? Okay, so we've got uh, another question from Ellery White. Ben Simmons has recently said that he'll be the start. He'll be starting at the one. How likely is this? And also, how does this work with the with faults? So uh, Ben Simmons out for a year, returning now. Number one pick from last year. Number one pick from this year. Markel Fultz will be on the same team as him. How's this going to balance then? Uh, I'm going to be pedantic here. I think they're going to they're going to embrace positionless ball. Like I think I think it is going to be sort of your turn my turn. I don't mean that in terms of ISO, but I think Simmons is going to be the primary ball handler. I 100% agree with with uh, the question. And I like the idea of just having Covington stand off ball all game because he's a really good player. I think I think it can work just because I think I don't think Brett Brown like if you remember those Scott Brooks OKC teams I think Scott Brooks fell into that trap of yep your turn my turn your turn my turn I don't think Brett Brown will do that I think that ball will be moving a lot so I think they're going to fully embrace that style of basketball Yeah I think that 
um, when faults seemed like a lot for Boston to draft and that seemed to be inevitable. I think there was a lot of discussion about how he can fit alongside Isaiah. So I think I imagine him and his team would already have been working with an eye on possibility of playing as more of a combo guard. I think the Sixers' front office have made it clear they wanted to use Simmons as a magic LeBron-style point forward. So I think it would be interesting to see, him, see if that still applies with faults in the picture. I think it opens up opportunities if they're able to alternate. You know, that adds versatility to the team and it gives Simmons a chance to sometimes be kind of the leader of the team and then sometimes going and bang inside when he's, he's got a mismatch. So I think it could work. I think they could coexist. And I think, um, you know, I think talent's talent sometimes. And I think if they are as elite as they're supposed to be and, uh, you know, they're as um, transcendent as many have forecast them to be, I think they'll find a way. I I agree. Oh, this is this is getting boring now. We're all agreeing. Um, Simmons himself said, "I think you can move me anywhere, but I'm a starting point guard." It's the fact that he said, "I think you can move me anywhere," means he's going to be willing to play different positions. I'm intrigued to see how he can match up against smaller guys because he's not, you know, he's not slight. And I think that Fultz maybe might be a better match up against those quicker uh, point guards. We're seeing a sort of rise of undersized athletic point guards, so maybe that's more something that Fultz can can cover on defense. Um, I have no problem sharing the ball, Simmons said. Uh, Fultz doesn't either. Watching him play, he can share the ball. If you've got a team that, I mean, if you watch the team like the Warriors, where they all just share the ball, yes, Steph Curry's the point guard, but that the way they move the ball, if you can start doing things like that, your team is just going to win because it just creates so many options and so many spaces. I, I'm keen to see how they work together. I'm sure on paper, uh, Simmons will go down as as being like a starting three or four. But he's he is going to be, I think, sort of uh, it, it sort of mirroring the way LeBron plays, and that's, I know that sounds like a massive sort of ceiling, but I'm talking about in terms of the big guy who can pass um, and and run the offense. I think the only question mark about Simmons, aside from his health, is his ability to shoot still, and that and Fultz can bring offense off the ball as well. So I I think they're going to coexist. I think the main thing as well is that the the, the main factor of of it all is if they're both able to stay healthy <laughs> because this Sixers thing yeah. is getting ridiculous now. So I sometimes wish that Philadelphia could trade their medical staff for uh, <laughs> Phoenix's medical staff because they seem to bring people back from the dead. Um, okay, next question from S- Steve Houdini. Uh, could you grade Boston's free agency slash trade window? So we covered the, the free agency bit earlier, um, including the trade window. What would you grade them as? Um, okay. You know what? I, uh, I've i been thinking about this, and, and actually throughout this podcast, I've been thinking about what I'd say if that question popped up, um, and especially after being called out on my Boston bias. Uh, I I was prepared to play it down but I'm going to say an A um, just because you know it's all a bit subjective really many people think they should have rolled the dice and got a a bigger free agent and that's actually why a lot of people think possibly it's it's not as good an off season as it could have been Uh, but I've already made it clear on on this pod that I think that the risk factor uh, was too high to try and go for someone like George and completely gut the team when you could have got Hayward without losing a thing well you know, we've lost Avery Bradley, but we've got Marcus Morris in return. Uh, every single player that's gone out the door, we've actually probably got a better player in their position um, so far. 
So I'm going to go for, yeah, I'm going to go for an A, and I really appreciate um, Joe's enthusiasm. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go A too. I think if I'd have given it an A star if they'd have landed Butler or George as well, and I think that would have been uh, near on impossible. Um, but like I said earlier, the, mo- the most exciting thing about uh, their summer for me is is Tatum. I don't think he's going to get necessarily going to get a lot of opportunity this year just because of of the guys they've already got in that position. But if he is if he projects the way he is playing right now and he's so far ahead of the other guys in summer league, I think then he could be an absolute beast for years. To- there you go, he's beast again. Uh, he he could be an incredible player for years to come. So uh, yeah, gets an A from me. Um, long time listener and one of the hardest names to pronounce. I think Joe's got credited with giving the best pronunciation of this name. Uh, so I'm going to give it a go. And if it doesn't work, the next time I'll just get Joe to say it and we'll just clip it in. Um, it's Anogen Ahilan. So yeah, I, I'm sorry if I butchered that. Um, who will be first time All Stars this season? especially in the Eastern Conference, with some stars migrating over to the Western Conference. Okay, shall I do a memory test? Not not for you guys, and just run back through who were uh, All-Stars this year? Yes, I'm, I'm going to go for it. So so for the East, starting you had Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Butler, LeBron James, DeMar DeRozan, Kyrie Irving. You then had Carmelo Anthony as a late addition covering for Kevin Love. So obviously Kevin Love was named, Paul George, Carl Lowry, Paul Millsap, Isaiah Thomas, Kemba Walker, John Wall. And out of that roster, you've lost Paul George, Jimmy Butler, and Paul Millsap to the West. So who do we see coming in on the East? Um, Hassan Whiteside, I think, will get in this year, just as an all-round player. Mm-hmm. I'm praying he hasn't been an all-star. I'm going to look really, really stupid. I'll just double check. Pretty I, sure he hasn't. That that's I don't my think fit. he has. No, no. Yeah, he was actually. He was DD champion as well. So yeah, has some white sides my pick as well. Um I gotta be honest, I wouldn't be surprised to see Embiid in there if he's healthy either. Other yeah, than if... that. And actually my outside shot is D'Angelo Russell, purely because I think he's gonna put up big numbers in that next team, so uh, that's my that's my hot takey one. I've got a couple of, uh, uh, you know, my main thought was that, um, you know, like you said, if Embiid can stay on the court, health is obviously a massive factor. I'd say that he'd definitely be able to make an all-star game. But uh, with the migration um, of all those players in the East, I actually think, uh, especially on, you know, for wing players, I think it leaves an opportunity for Bradley Beal, who should definitely have been an all-star already. Um, It was a last, it was a snub last year, I believe. and then uh, uh, this is a real hot take one as well, uh, and not necessarily one that everyone will agree with. But I think with increased responsibility uh, and the reliance that Van Gundy may have on him, I think that Avery Bradley's is an outside bet. I think that you know if he's given the keys a little bit more, um, given more of an increased role in the offense, and start can start to consistently make shots. I think his numbers will do the talking. And then once he starts to get the recognition of his defensive ridiculousness I think that he's an outside bet okay yeah no, that's, that's fair points um, I'm going to lead by saying I really hope that I'd say I really hope if they play well enough then um, they're obviously former all-stars anyway but I'm, I'm thinking that Mello and, and Wade's time as all-stars are, are done because they weren't originally in the roster so I'm, I'm taking I'm taking them out because they all have 
well, they have big markets and, and big followings anyway. So I'm worried that that might take some shine away from some of the new guys coming through. So I had Whiteside, I had Beal, I had Embiid, Kristaps Porzingis, I think should have been an all-star this year. And then first time for the East, and it was his first time last year, I think Gordon Hayward's probably going to be a, a shoe-in at one of the wing spots. Okay, so let's go to the West. So you've got AD, KD, <laughs> Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry and James Harden started. DeMarcus Cousins, Mark Gasol, Draymond Green, Gordon Hayward, DeAndre Jordan, Clay Thompson and Russell Westbrook on the bench. Um, so le that roster loses Gordon Hayward only. And you've got to remember as well that Blake Griffin and Chris Paul were injured. Um, well, the obvious one is Carl Anthony Towns. Yep. I think he should have been one last year, although I'm 100% biased on that. Um, and Jokic as well. And, yeah, those are my two favourites. I think those are those are the obvious. I think the guards are just so stacked on that side. You know, you've got Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Chris Paul. Uh, yeah, I can't see any guard. And even then, then you've got the Portland guys as well. And Mike Conley. Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of hope for guys like Ricky Rubio and, and George Hill, you know, those kind of next-level guys. Yeah, I was going to say CJ McCollum. Uh, I think that he's he's um, having a bit of an increased role. I think that I think we had a bit of a discussion um, in in our WhatsApp group recently about this about who the most important player on the offense for um, the Blazers is, and I think that CJ McCollum might have actually taken over. I think that he's really really an incredible player, great talent, and seems to be a great character. I think that he is an outsider to be recognised in the West. Uh, I I totally agree with that, um, and I've voiced similar opinions on the pod before. Uh, my my two for first timer are Jokic and Towns. I looked at that roster, and that's two big guys, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, this this Western team is stacked with really good big guys as well. You've got Anthony Davis, you've got Demarcus Cousins, Mark Gasol, DeAndre Draymond. Jordan. Draymond yeah, Green. throw Draymond in there as well. It's it's almost like people say like the 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 big men positions dying and whatever. And you've got Demarcus Jordan and and Gasol and Anthony Davis all still repping, and it's it's scary. And then you've got guys like Jokic and and Towns in the wings. So I, I'm not convinced that the position's dying out just yet. Do you think do you think everyone on Twitter will unite to get Dirk Nowitzki a fan vote? I'm I'm surprised given the population of of Georgia and their near success in getting uh, Zaza in that that Germany haven't done something similar. Yeah, same here. I think that what you said about the um, the the bigs that are in the you know potential all stars in the upcoming year is actually a bit of a reflection um, on the way that the positions changed. I think that a term that continues to be used for guys like that is unicorn, but if there's so many of them, they're not unicorns. I think that just the, these guys who have adapted their game are the, are the ones that are able to stay alive as you know, relevant bigs in the NBA. And I think that the fact that they've done that is actually why they're getting the plaudits and why they're able to prosper. So I think all these bigs that are over in the West that could potentially be all-stars this year are just the ones who have tried and adapted the most um, to the way that the league is going. So I think you know the fact that those could potentially all be all-stars is a reflection uh, of the way bigs are changing in the league. 
No, I think that's a fair point. Uh, Joe, you've got some questions as well? Yep, I have. So we've got one. Well, actually, I'll only ask this one. Have you guys been watching Summer League at all or following it? Uh, yes, I have, actually. I've uh, I've tried to watch as much as I can in the few spare minutes I get, but uh, I have been watching it. Uh, all right, so for... I've only been so, watching oh, Boston's sorry. games. <laughs> all right, well, we'll try and answer this one because I can answer it anyway. So we've got... From Dean Cruikshank, another long-time listener, diehard Bulls fan as well. Outside of the lottery picks, so this is not including the likes of Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, Dennis Smith, who showed the most promise or who's impressed you most in Summer League? Uh, a couple of guys have impressed me that aren't the big name. Obviously, I said Tatum earlier, but uh, aren't, aren't the big name guys. From watching the Lakers, uh, I actually like Thomas Bryant. I don't know how he's going to project as a big because... When he gets to the league, he, you know, everyone else is going to be as big, if not bigger, than him. But he is a, I've, I've liked him as a, a pretty solid, big guy. He's been quite active on the boards. He's been finishing strong. Um, and the other guy, I'm trying to remember his name now, which I'm really struggling to, which is annoying because we've drafted him. <laughs> uh, for the Blazers, the other big guy, what is his name? Who's got a, um, not Zach Collins, the other guy. Swanigan. Yeah. Yeah, Swanigan, that was it. Who like he is just a physical uh I'm gonna say beast again, why not? I've got I got criticized for saying beast too many times once before. I've used it at least three times now. He's uh really solid and um I've I've liked watching him play. Uh like I said, I've only been watching Boston's games, just uh been you know, it's 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 hard to keep track, and sometimes it can be a bit painful because everyone's just playing for a spot on a roster. Uh, I think that it turns into some kind of mad rush. But um, uh, I have taken some time to watch to to watch Boston's games, um, partly because of the exciting youth within the team. But I was I've been surprised by, and I'm going to try and get his name right, uh, Semi Ojale. Uh, who's oh, yeah. who's been really really powerful actually when he's had when he's had the chance he's been um, really physical really quick and really strong guy I think that depending on roster space he could potentially eventually get a look in um, and he's yeah he surprised me yeah I've I've got to admit I was impressed with him for a little bit of highlights I saw I've got two so one it's not really a summary, but it's Wayne Seldon from the Memphis Grizzlies. I think he put up 29 last night. I watched it earlier. He's looked um, really, really good. The one who's impressed me most, and it doesn't surprise me that he's placed of the Rockets, it's a Chinese centre called Zhu Qi. Oh, that's the best name I've ever heard in my life, but he's he just looks like a defensive centre. He's He moves really well, defends the pick and roll, and I think he could... I think, Obviously, Capella's probably going to get paid in a few years, but I think they've got a ready-made replacement there based on what I've watched. It's, it's, it's weird how like we sit here and we get impressed by these guys, and and I'm, I, I, I'm not sure that we'll hear from most of them at all next year, like the non-lottery guys. It's just it's crazy how they can make such an impact in in this sort of transition league from college to, to pros and yet the jump will be still too much for a lot of these guys yeah one thing i one thing i will say though the fact that so many people are watching summer league it just shows how much the nba has grown to me like even for me this is the first year i've watched summer league i've never watched it before so it's just growing so fast especially in this country i think it's yeah, also... there's definitely a lot more 
I think it's also a sign of just uh, how stacked this draft is. I think it's a really, really deep draft. And I think that on almost every team, there's a, there's a player that people are excited to see. Yeah, I, I certainly know that last year there was nowhere near as much noise about who was watching it. Um, so it's, it's great. It is, really is great that you know the basketball season is effectively extended by another month. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you as well. Um, it, I, it's really weird how I'm into it, but I never was. But but we'll go on. We've got two more questions. So this one is from Sam Baker, who I don't believe has asked one before. Um, who who are the favourites to face the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals this season? So I'll go to you, Mike, first. Oh, okay. Uh, favourites to face? Well, it's not, just racking my brains now. You you can never you can never rule out the Spurs. Like constantly underrated in in the regular season and consistently putting out sixty win seasons. I I don't think it it's it's too early to tell obviously because they've got another year older um and they definitely need to make some moves but if if Kawhi's fit and healthy I think that series would have been a lot closer this year and I think it's if 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 they are able to maintain anywhere near the same level of consistency which we shouldn't ever doubt they can as the Spurs I think it's going to be them again I think it's uh I I think it's going to be Oklahoma and I think that's Part of me, part of that is actually that's who I want to see for the narrative, because obviously that's what we were all crying out for last year when when KD left uh, Oklahoma. But I think that the addition of George and um, and obviously Westbrook's absolute tear last year are signs that they're going to be an absolute offensive juggernaut. I think that uh, Adams is just such a versatile player and. and it's actually a bit unrivaled to have such an effective body in there inside. Um, and Cantor's really versatile. I think their, their starting lineup's really great as long as they can get some help off the bench. I think that they could potentially give them, uh, give all the other teams a push and meet, uh, sorry, meet uh, the Warriors in the, in the Western Conference Finals. But at least that's who I'd want to see. Well, we've got three different answers because I've gone with the Rockets. I, I love the Chris Paul pickup. I think that actually, this isn't really a hot take at all, but I think that might be the best backcourt in NBA history. Certainly the most talented for me. Um, I love the PJ Tucker pickup. I just I think Mike D'Antoni is a genius as well. He doesn't get enough credit. And honestly, if they do somehow get mellow, they will just solidify it for me. So... It's, it was very interesting how we all had different answers because I thought we were all going to say Rockets because that was who I had in my mind. I'm I'm intrigued to see how this changes the style of play that the Rockets have, have had purely because they did fantastically last season in the regular season but as soon as the playoffs hit, great, you had OKC, that wasn't really much of a challenge uh, and, but then they, they kind of got smashed and, and weren't really um, engaged in it, let's say. Um I was I was dubious as to whether Chris Paul could operate in an Antoni offense, given that it's it's quick pace and space, um, seven seconds or less style. And then I remembered who the point guard was for seven seconds or less, and I was like, well, if you can get an aging Steve Nash, I don't see why you can get an aging Chris Paul to do exactly the same. So uh, I I think they're in with a shout, but I want to see a significant change. Uh, or ability to adapt at least from being a, th- a three-point gunning team to, to being something with a more well-rounded offence. Yeah, I'm with you. The fact they ignored mid-range is like a huge schematic flaw, and I, hopefully Chris Paul will help with that. 
Uh, we'll go on to the final question, which is one thing that is a topic we thought was actually a bit dated, but we can answer it now. Uh, does the PG-13 trade look slightly better for the Pacers after letting it sink in? Because obviously everyone just laughed at them when it when it happened. But I'll go to you, Josh, on this one first. Um, no, I don't think it does. I think that, I think it leaves a massive hole in them in in their team, um, and I think that it pushes them more towards mediocrity. I think obviously in return they've got a couple of players who can who who can be effective in the league. One of which is being overpaid, um, but I, I think that it actually pushes them more towards mediocrity, and I don't I don't think it looks very good for them to be honest. Um, I think it's definitely a better... I think that, in my opinion, it was a better move for Oklahoma. I think that, that if, if it is going to be a rental, I think it was a risk worth taking, um, considering you got rid of the Oladipo contract, which I think was uh, that I think they were overpaying him. Um, uh, yeah, so, so like I said, I, I, I just think it pushes them more towards the middle, um, and I don't think it gives them any kind of significant return for the future. I I don't think it looks any better for um, the Pacers either. When I when I first heard it, I was just like, okay, I can kind of see why. And I thought maybe you know, like you say, there's a high risk if it's a rental. I actually think now the dust has settled, it still looks better for the Thunder because now he's saying that everything about um, moving to LA is over was overhyped. Which if if it's true, great, and they stand the shot at keeping him. Which so for me, that's better for them. Um, I had this conversation about Oladipo the other day with someone. For me, he is just, uh, and I really, really don't want to cause offence here, but he's a, a poor man's Westbrook. He's a, a undersized athletic guard, but he doesn't have the ability to score from outside. He's a perennial 16 to 18 points per game guy on a on a losing team. Um, Sabonis, I haven't given up on him. I, I was a big fan of his dad. I was a big fan of him coming into the season. He looked like he had the ability to to sort of spread the floor and play inside. Um, maybe it was a lack of opportunity or maybe it was just sort of having to play in, a, in an offence which was dominated so singularly by Westbrook. He didn't develop the way I thought he was going to, but I, I haven't sort of given up on him yet. Right, So, so with me on this trade, I was slightly drunk when I saw it. Uh, so I thought, so I thought I'd been done by a fake account, and then I saw the, and then I saw the blue tick, and I just thought, oh, you gotta be kidding me! I, I'll be honest, I've been watching the NBA now not for as long as some of you guys watched it for seven years, and this honestly might be the worst trade I've ever seen. Like it's just, I actually hate it more that they've they've gotten some assets because their starting five now is going to be something like Corey Joseph, Victor Oladipo. Uh, Thad Young, uh, I can't remember who their small forward is. I think it might be Lance, and then Miles Turner oh, in God. the East. That's that's enough for like thirty-five wins in the East, which is probably going to get you a what a nine or ten seed. And my my response to that is, what is the point in that? What is the point in winning thirty-five games? Because I can understand it if they'd been bad for years, but Indiana since the turn of the century, I think they've only picked in the top ten once. So they've always been pretty good. And I just don't get this. I don't get what they're doing. I didn't get what Larry Bird was doing last summer. I know he's quit now, but I hate this trade. I'm with you on Oladipo. I think he's one of those high-usage guys 
who isn't actually very good at high usage basketball. And then you've just, oh, their roster's depressing. I'm looking at it now. It's just, they've got like Al Jefferson. I think he's got a cap hit of 12 million next year. This this is not good at all. That that uh, starting lineup just gave me a massive headache, <laughs> <laughs> and not in a good way. Oh, it, yeah, they've st- they've still got Lance. They and they signed up Bogdanovich as well, didn't they, from the Wizards? Which is just again, he's okay. But why would you sign an okay player when you're not contending or mm-hmm. or pushing for a playoff spot of a young team? I just don't get. It. I feel sorry for Miles Turner as well because I think he's a really good player and he's just buried in Indiana. That's the. But I'll pass the mic back to you now. That's the problem. They're they're incredibly okay, and I think okay is actually by far the worst status to have as a basketball team in the NBA yeah totally especially if you look at what Philly have done recently they went for uh, historic uh, poorness and and have been rewarded with what well they've had like two third picks two first picks and a, and someone who did they get a sixth pick before that or somewhere you know they, they've now they come up smelling of roses and everyone's like this is a team for the future I think if you if you if your looks run out just accept it. Don't try and patchwork it. Just, just, just tank. All hail Sam Vinky. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the that's the thing. Like, I don't mind Dallas trying to win because they've still got Dirk, but but Indiana don't have like an old player like that, and it it just it baffles me. I'd I'd re- like I know Minnesota have been crap. I'd rather that than just be like a perennial forty-two win team. It's just because you know at the start of the season there's there's nothing that's going to come of it. So I don't know what they're doing myself. Well, at least we got them for London game this year because the likelihood means we won't get them. Well, last year, sorry. So the, the likelihood is we won't have them this year because uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to watch that. Um, but that seems a good place to, to leave for today. Uh, if you don't already, make sure you follow us at Double Clutch UK on Twitter. Uh, we're also at Double Clutch UK on Facebook and Instagram, so it's really not that hard to, to find us on all three. If you haven't already, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps sort of uh, get get us more exposure as a pod and helps us keep bringing you stuff. Um, a slight plug here, our good friend Benny Bonsu from The Drop from the 14th to the 17th of July, so that's in a couple of days. She's actually flying out tonight to China. She's going to be uh, giving the UK community exclusive access to Dwayne Wade's tour, uh, which will be in partnership with Lee Ning and AliExpress Live. So uh, Benny will be travelling with D Wade, and and if, it's worth following because from what I've seen of it already, it's going to be very good. There's going to be lots of signed freebies given away as well. So if you want to win something signed by a future Hall of Famer, make sure you follow at Ms. Benny Bonsu. Um, and then the final note is they... They've announced the uh, preliminary roster for the GB game next uh, August. Sorry, next August, next month. So 19th of August at the Copper Box. And Yanis Antetokounmpo is on the preliminary Greece squad. Anyone else excited about that? Couldn't be more excited. Oh, you sound so enthused as well. I love it. <laughs> uh, I'm super excited. I've already bought courtside tickets. Uh, so if anyone in the UK wants to head down, I'll see you there. Um, But other than that, we'll be back next week with another pod. Thank you very much for listening.